Okay, I said I'd get to it, and I am getting to it. And what I am getting to is the Israel-Arab War. Now, for those of you who say, It's the Israel-Palestinian War. I am going to start out right from the front to explain this situation immediately as to why it is not, indeed, the Israel-Palestinian War. The reason that it is not the Israel-Palestinian War is because never in all of recorded human history has there ever been a nation known as Palestine. Ever. Never, never, never. Now, there has been a region of the world that has been called Palestine. But there has never been a nation called Palestine, and and there has never, in all of recorded history, ever, ever been an ethnicity or race of people called Palestinians. There have not, okay? The people who refer to themselves and who are frequently referred to by the left as Palestinians are actually ethnic Jordanians for the most part. Now, I know that there's a bunch of you out there who are just pulling out your hair and you're just going absolutely nuts about this saying, Oh, you can't say that, Doc. That's just terrible. You just can't say that kind of thing. That's just not politically correct. Well, let me give you some history. And the history is this. We're going to go all the way back to 1948. And in 1948, Israel declared that it was an independent nation. This was part of a deal that was made to give Israel its ancestral land back after the Holocaust, after World War II. Up to that point, after World War I, that area of the Middle East was controlled by the British. It was a British protectorate. Now, the British said that they were going to give Israel their ancestral lands back, that it was going to be recognized by the United Nations as the ancestral lands and <clears throat> of the Jews. And so, word got out, because at the time, at the time, after the, the Israelis started to move back there and settle and stuff, they actually turned the place into what was basically a wasteland back into a usable land. And all of a sudden, Arabs started coming in and getting jobs there. Because, you know, well, that area needed jobs. And the Israelis were willing to hire them. So... They were doing their thing. Now, there were still a bunch of Arabs who, uh, and this had been happening actually since the 1930s, who had been fighting uh, against bringing Jews back and uh, hated the Jews and absolutely would not accept the Jews 
And and at one point, and I believe this was 1937, the British said, well, why don't we just have a two-state solution? And we'll give half, uh, or actually more than half, vastly more than half of the land to Arabs, and then we'll give the rest to the Jews. And the Arabs said, absolutely not. We are not going to accept that. We just will not accept Jews here at all. In fact, the Arabs turned down and have turned down historically their own state on five separate occasions. They've turned it down. So I don't want to hear any of this BS about, oh, well, you have to have a two-state solution and the Israelis are occupying and so on and so forth. Israel is smaller than New York State. It is smaller. I think it's even smaller than Delaware, for crying out loud. It is a teeny tiny little strip of land. All of the rest of the land in the Middle East. All of the rest of the land in the Middle East. All of the rest of the land in the Middle East is completely 100% dominated by Arabs. All of it. Every single bit. So, if you're against an Israeli state existing, then you are an anti-Semite. Period. End of sentence. There is no other alternative. Now, back to the facts of history. When the British said they were going to pull out the Arab countries around Israel told the Arabs that were living within the borders of Israel, y'all better get out because we are fixing to come in and we are going to wipe Israel off the map. Or more to the point, we are going to wipe the Jews off of the map. That is what we plan to do. So if you are an Arab in that area, y'all better leave now. So that's what they did. They did that. They moved, they left, they got out. And they went to neighboring areas uh, like Lebanon. And they were just sitting around waiting because what they figured was going to happen was the Arab nations were going to come in, they were going to wipe out the Jews entirely, and then they would be able to move back in and take everything that the Jews had left. That's what they were doing. They were sitting there like a bunch of turkey vultures, just waiting, like hyenas, actually, to be a little more geographically correct. They were waiting like hyenas for the uh, lions to get through with their massacre. But what ended up happening was the Israelis ended up winning. Not only did the Israelis end up winning, but they also ended up taking some more land that they were planning on using as a buffer zone between them and the people who tried to annihilate them. So, all of those Arabs who had left and were sitting there licking their chops and waiting for the Israelis to be slaughtered, were not let back in for some odd reason. Hmm, that's just weird. Why wouldn't the Israelis let those hyenas back in? Well, folks, that's where the whole concept of 
Palestinians started to kind of become a thing. It didn't really, really become a thing until 1962 when Yasser Arafat created the PLO. And the PLO, the Palestinian Liberation Organization, came up with the uh, political concept of Palestine and how Israel had run the Arabs out of their own land and, and how Israel wasn't even really the ancestral land of the Jews. And, and while we're at it, not only is Israel not the ancestral lands of the Jews, but, but there was never really even a Holocaust to begin with. And, and so I don't know why those Jews are even allowed there at all in the first place, those rotten, crummy Jews. Um, <clears throat> so there you go, folks. That is what happened. Uh, and, and, and that's the, the root of the Israeli-Palestinian problem. Now, most recently, most recently, and this is very odd, um... You see, the Israeli Mossad has uh, knowledge of every single person who is part of um, the terror group Hamas. They know who they are. They know where all of them live. They know where all of their families live. And they, on a very constant basis, remind the leaders of Hamas, we know who you are, we know where you live, we know where your families live. And this maintains a certain level of peace. Until recently. Until recently. Now, as I have pointed out, the globalists... And make no mistake, folks, there are globalists in Israel as well, and there are politicians and wealthy industrialists in Israel who care just about as much for their own people as our government cares about us, which is to say they flat don't. They care much more about power and money than any of that. And as globalists, they figure that since there is going to be a global utopia, a global government where an unelected elite rule over we, the unwashed masses, there's no real need to have any kind of loyalty to your nation, which will not exist, by definition, in a globalist society. So, you have these people who are in positions of power, who have a lot of money, but want to see certain changes come about in the world. And these changes that they want to come about have not been coming about as they had really expected because of, well, a whole bunch of people here in the United States electing a guy named Trump. 
and they threw a big old monkey wrench into their plan of a great global reset. And to the point where, well, that global reset never actually occurred to their chagrin. And so what did they do? Well, they did what they could to try to get rid of Trump. And while they were doing that, they also went ahead and spearheaded uh, their great reset with their global pandemic, a global pandemic caused by a virus that was actually patented back in the 1960s, or at least the, the precursor was patented back in the 1960s. So that didn't work. It did some damage. It did some damage to the global system, but it didn't work very well. As a matter of fact, it had kind of a retrograde effect, an effect that they didn't want, which was it really, really helped boil up sentiments of culture, sentiments of nationalism, sentiments of regional pride. And uh, in, in no fewer and, and no smaller group of people than the Russians, the Indians, and the Chinese, which, well, that makes up quite a decent amount of the uh, global population right there. But it also really served to piss off the folks that if you are a globalist, if you want a one-world government, the one group of people you don't want to piss off, ladies and gentlemen, are the American people. And doggone it, they pissed off the American people. Something fierce. And so uh, they decided that they couldn't handle, the globalists that is, couldn't handle uh, another four years of Trump. So they made sure that their agents in the United States, those agents being what we call uh, the uniparty, the establishment, the deep state, uh, whatever, you know, language you prefer, however uh, conspiratorial you would like your language to become, they would have them make sure that the election went the way of the globalists. And so they did. And the election went the way of the globalists. But that served to piss the American people off even more. If that were possible. And apparently it were. So the American people got upset. And we started, well, doing what we do best. And we started uh, electing a whole bunch of people that... Uh, we want to change things. Now, now, again, they managed to stifle the midterm elections, too. They managed to mitigate the damage by also cheating in the areas where they could get away with cheating. But they weren't able to mitigate the damage as much in the state legislators, in the state legislatures. And guess where the voting laws are made, ladies and gentlemen. The voting laws are made in the state legislatures. And in that midterm election, we ended up, the, 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 the Republican Party, some of whom are MAGA, ended up with 
the most super majorities in state legislatures that we have ever had in all of recorded history. And now, granted, you had a lot of Republicans who are rhinos, or as I like to call them, or as, as I have taken from Dr. Steve Turley, Diablos, that is, Democrats in all but label, the Diablos, are still out there, and they have been doing everything they can, like Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy, to make sure that the Republican Party doesn't take over Washington, D.C., uh, because that is their last bastion. You see, the globalists are losing all across the globe. And it just, as a matter of fact, just a couple of days ago, we had uh, an election in South America. And I think it was Argentina. Uh, no, Ecuador. It was in Ecuador and a, a basically their version of a MAGA Republican won and in the and here in the United States, we had what should be a really, really, really scary warning to the establishment. I'm not even going to say to the Democrat Party. I'm going to say to the establishment, or as I like to call them, the D.C. syndicate or the D.C. cartel. Louisiana. Louisiana elected a hardcore MAGA Republican governor. And this wasn't even close, folks. You see, the way that the elections happen in Louisiana, and I'm sorry I'm rambling here, folks, but this all does come together, I promise. The way that these elections happen in Louisiana is they just throw a whole bunch of people from a whole bunch of parties and they hodgepodge them together in one general election. And then when they have their election and nobody ends up with greater than 50% of the vote, they take the top two people and they have a runoff election. And whoever wins the runoff election wins the election. I don't think this is the first time in history that this has happened in Louisiana, but it's, a, it's the first time in a very, very long time where the governor was chosen in the first round of voting with, I think it was 53%. And this guy is a Trump-endorsed MAGA Republican. Now, here's the really big deal. When you go through and you look at all the parishes, because in Louisiana they don't have counties, they have parishes— and if you look at all the parishes, only like two or three or maybe four of them voted blue. All of the rest of them were red. Basically, the entire map of Louisiana was red. That is absolutely unheard. New Orleans Parish was red, folks. Absolutely unheard of. Unheard of. And this should scare the hell out of the establishment because, folks, with that kind of voting, with that kind of voting, with a voter turnout that red in a state that is typically at best purple, with a voter turnout that red, they don't have a chance. Of, of They don't have a chance of cheating. They don't have a chance at all. No matter how hard they cheat, they will be overwhelmed. Even in states that they think they own, they might be overwhelmed. 
So they should be quaking in their boots. Anyway, I go through all of that to say that despite the fact that this particular installed regime, the Biden regime, is doing everything it can, it is working double overtime to try to destroy the United States as quickly as it can, I don't think it will be able to withstand the 2024 election. Now, here's where we get to certain speculations and how things may or may not pan out. All of this being said, the globalists need a crisis. They need a global crisis to try to get people to uh, invest in them more power so that they, the unelected elite, can take over control of the world and save us from their global whatever crisis. You see, climate change never worked, okay? Back when it was global cooling, never worked. Global warming didn't work. Acid rain didn't work. And climate change, no, nobody really buys that. By and large, nobody is, is scared of that. COVID kind of worked, but their more recent rollout of COVID 2.0, the revenge of COVID, that hasn't worked either. And uh, so they were trying very desperately to start World War III by goading Russia into a war over Ukraine. That didn't work either. Now, Ukraine has been and is still quite profitable for them because they are laundering crap loads of American taxpayer dollars through Ukraine and funneling it to their various organizations and, of course, a certain amount back into the pockets of the politicians who are voting away our money. That is happening. But Ukraine looks like it's coming to an end. It is even losing support in Poland. So the Europeans are starting to say, yeah, we can't keep this up much longer because uh, our people are getting pissed off and they're going to vote us out and we're going to lose our phony baloney jobs. So they need something else. They need something else. And so what they did was they pulled a 9-11 style situation in Israel. Am I saying that the Israeli government allowed these attacks to occur? That is exactly and precisely what it looks like, folks. You see, I know a thing or two about Israeli intelligence, and I know a thing or two about the Israeli military, and I know for an absolute 100% fact there is zero way, any way, there is absolutely zero way that Hamas, a bunch of cavemen with hardly any technical capability whatsoever, would have been able to pull off either of the major attacks. Well, there was Hamas in one attack and Hezbollah in the second attack, but neither one of those organizations would have been able to pull this off at, uh, at the hands of 
uh, or in the face of the Israeli military and intelligence apparatus had they been doing their job. Which means, and it's the same thing for 9-11. 9-11 never, ever, ever could have happened if the CIA, NSA, FBI, I mean, we have an amazing intelligence apparatus, folks. There's no way 9-11 ever could have been pulled off by a bunch of cavemen. No freaking way. But it happened. Well, how did it happen? Well, it was allowed to happen. They wanted it to happen because they need their forever wars. Their forever wars make them rich, make them powerful. And the more forever wars they have, the closer to globalism they can get. And that is their final destination. That is what they want more than anything. Now, unfortunately for them, as I have stated before, what's going on in the world, there is a huge surgence, resurgence of uh, regionalism, nationalism. It doesn't have anything to do necessarily with race. It has to do with culture. It doesn't even necessarily have to do with ethnicity. Again, it has to do with culture. See, the, when, when Trump happened, that didn't have anything to do with race because a bunch of black people voted for him too and a bunch of Hispanics. And guess what? In this next election, even more black people and more Hispanics are going to be voting for Donald Trump, which again is something that the left, the syndicate, is very, very scared of. They are frightened to death of that particular fact. Uh, anyway, so yes, this situation in uh, Israel was allowed to happen. And what they are doing in the United States to further try to destroy the United States. They have to destroy the United States culturally. They have to destroy the United States economically. And they are trying to do both. They are talking about sending billions and billions of dollars on top of the trillions of dollars that they have spent uh, sent to uh, Ukraine. They are talking about sending billions and billions of dollars now to Israel. Folks, Israel doesn't need our money necessarily. But honestly, I'd rather give it to Israel than Ukraine. Ukraine is the single most corrupt country in Eastern Europe, bar none. So, you know, I'd much rather see the money going to Israel. But at the same time, I would not like to see the money going to Israel because, well, uh, they allowed this stuff to happen. They allowed it to happen, or somebody allowed it to happen. And as a result, a lot of people died. They don't care, by the way. They do not care. The folks who are... Uh, the folks who... The globalists don't care how many people they have to kill. They do not care how many people they have to kill to achieve their goal. Because, well, we are the unwashed masses. We don't matter. We are a uh, commodity to them. Human beings are commodities 
to these people. And these people are no different. Zero difference. Zero difference between these people and the Nazis that we didn't really defeat in World War II. And, and what do you mean we didn't really defeat? Because we let a bunch of them live. Not only did we let a bunch of them live, but we hired a bunch of them to help us put together our nuclear program against the Soviets. Ah, but I digress. I frequently do ask my wife. So that's what's going on with the Israel situation. There's no such thing as a Palestinian. Palestinians don't exist. There was never a nation by the name of Palestine. It has never, ever, ever existed. And folks can go, well, you should call them Palestinians because they lived in the region that was called Palestine by the British. It was called Palestine by the British, okay? When it was run by the, uh, when it was run by the Romans, it was not called Palestine. No, it was called uh, Israel. That's what it was called. I don't know. Actually, the Romans might have called it, called it Palestine. I'm, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. But either way, the Jews have lived in that region for a super-duper-duper long time, from time immemorial. Actually, they were living in that land up until, and, and, and uh, it'll be interesting to see if anybody else knows this, A.D. 70. And A.D. 70 was when Rome had finally had enough of the Jews and came in and ran them out of Israel and absolutely razed Jerusalem to the ground. They destroyed Jerusalem, and then the Jews were scattered all over the world. But that didn't happen until A.D. 70. Prior to that, the Jews had been in that land for thousands of years. So, so, there you go. And those of you who like to talk about indigenous peoples, well, there you go. Israel is, belongs to the Jews because they are the indigenous peoples. It's, uh, there, there you go. And if, if you don't like that, well, then you're going to have to revise your, uh, come up with an explanation for your hypocrisy. All right, so that's what's going on in Israel. That's why what is going on in Israel is going on in Israel, folks. This was staged. It was staged because the globalists needed another war. and More specifically, the D.C. syndicate needed another war for, uh, to funnel uh, taxpayer dollars through. And in just a little bit, we're going to get into their plans for the United States financially. So what is the ultimate goal? What is the ultimate goal of the globalist? What is the ultimate goal of the read? Uh, no, actually, I almost gave it away. I almost gave it away. What is the ultimate goal of the uh, socialist utopian? Well, the ultimate goal is the redistribution of wealth. And, and I don't mean, by the way, what's written in the book of Marx and Engels about redistributing wealth from the wealthy to the poor. 
That's not what they're really about. What they are really about is enslaving we, the people, and redistributing the the money that we make, the stuff that we produce, and redistributing it to them. Well, it appears that that is what is going on. Just recently, the puppet-in-chief, the barely intelligible uh, lunatic-in-chief, came out and said that they were going to go after banks and going after what he called junk fees. There, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of technical type uh, economic things going on with all of this. Suffice it to say, and and this is stuff I'm not going to get into. I think initially one of the things that they are going to use this for is they are going to use this to put smaller banks out of business, because another one of the goals of uh, your socialist utopians, your globalists, is the centralization of stuff. And that includes money, that includes banking. And you can't centralize a bank if you've got a whole bunch of independent little banks running around. So you need to put those independent little banks out of business so that everybody has to go to the banks that are in your pocket. Not the least of which is the central bank, the the government bank, the Fed. And uh, that's that was the that's going to be the purpose of, of their eventual rollout of a central digital currency too, by the way. Uh, it will be to centralize all of the currency. And not only that, but it will also be to spy on you because they will be able to see everything that you buy, where you spend every single digital cent, and they will also be able to control what you buy by disallowing you from purchasing certain things that they don't want you to have, like, oh, I don't know, guns or ammunition or anything that might help you be protected from them. Uh, and that's that's basically how they're going to use this. But anyway, so that's one of the things they're going to do. They're going to go after independent little banks, especially because independent little banks are popping up all over the place, and they will provide uh, an alternative to their central currency and their central bank and so forth. But the next thing they're going to because they have to be able to get theirs too they have to be able to get their money as well and for this we're going to go to Reuters and I want to give a hat tip out to John Williams who has a much more uh, in-depth take on this on his YouTube channel this is John Williams so definitely check that out but he pointed out a Reuters uh, story that says reforms could boost world bank lending to developing countries by nearly $190 billion. 
dollars, this particular study says. All right, this was uh, put out in September 26th. It says here, reforming the world's bank, the World Bank's approach to risk could unlock nearly $190 billion in additional urgently needed lending for developing countries without jeopardizing its, the bank's, AAA credit rating. A study commissioned by the Rockefeller Foundation found, I'm sorry, Rockefeller, it's not Rockefeller, it's Rockefeller Foundation. You know, folks, I never, ever, ever in my life was a conspiracy theorist until, I don't know, the last eight years or so. And now I'm really finding it hard not to be a conspiracy theorist. Okay, the study carried out by international finance analytics firm Risk Control. It'd be worth checking out who owns them. Uh, I'm going to have to remind myself to do that or completely forget about it because I am really horribly ADHD. Found the bank's two main lending arms, the International Bank for Reconstruction and Development, also known as the IBRD, and the International Development Association, the IDA, have, quote, significant headroom, end quote, to boost lending. Now, as John Williams pointed out, will they be lending this money to American citizens? No. Will they be lending this money to any citizens in the West? No. No, they will not. The study said the IBRD could boost lending by $162 billion over a decade or less, before triggering a downgrade by global credit rating agencies, while IDA, which lends to the poorest countries, could boost lending by $21 billion to $27 billion. Folks, you don't lend money to poor people. You know why you don't lend money to poor people? Because they can't pay it back. Okay? So when they say that the, these banks are going to be lending money to underdeveloped nations, to poor people. That's not what they're doing. The World Bank exists for one purpose and one purpose only, and that is to redistribute wealth. That's it. None of these so-called emerging economies will ever, ever, ever pay back these loans. This is theft and redistribution, plain and simple. And so what they are saying here at the beginning of this article is that we think that we could actually get away with stealing more money from the people of Western civilization. That's what they're saying. All right. It said IBRD and IDA could boost lending to nearly $900 billion if the rating agencies changed their processes and modified the allowance they make for, quote, callable capital, end quote, commitments by shareholders to supply additional resources in the event of severe financial problems. What this is saying here, what that statement is saying, is that we could even get away with 
lending more money, read stealing more money, redistributing more money, if the agencies, the credit agencies that do the ratings change the rules to allow us to get away with that. And make no mistake, folks, when they say that, one of the things they're looking at is taking over those credit agencies themselves so that they can give themselves whatever the hell credit rating they want at the same time being able to give other people that they don't like whatever credit rating that they want. Use of innovative approaches, including hybrid capital, I'm not exactly sure what that means, but it would be worth looking up, could provide further funds. Let's go ahead and look that up. Let's go ahead and look up hybrid capital just for fun. What is hybrid capital? Hybrid security is a single financial security that combines two or more different financial instruments. Hybrid securities, often referred to as hybrids, generally combine both debt and equity characteristics. The most common type of hybrid security is a convertible bond. Okay, not entirely sure what that means, but there you go. For those of you who are more economically minded than me. The bank has all I'm sorry, where was I? Uh, use of innovative approaches, including hybrid capital, could provide further funds, the study concluded, while scrutinizing 10% of IRB, IBRD and IDA's portfolios could generate additional lending headroom of $29 billion to $41 billion. The bank has already increased its leverage ratio to squeeze out an additional $50 billion in lending over a decade. But World Bank President Ajay Banga on Tuesday said the bank could potentially double that amount with international contributions. International contributions, that is a euphemism for stolen tax dollars. That is what that word means. Eric Palofsky, vice president at the Rockefeller Foundation, said risk control conducted a math-based and, well, I would hope it would be math-based because there's money involved, and transparent. When they say transparent, by the way, folks, that means that they're hiding something. That confirmed additional lending capacity was possible even beyond the levels mapped out today. I guarantee you, folks, that not one dime of this additional capital will be coming out of the pockets of the Rockefellers or any uh, or the Bidens or the Clintons or the Soroses or the Schwabs. It won't be coming from them. It will be coming out of your pocket. And uh, John Williams, yes, John Williams uh, does a really good job of explaining how this announcement by Joe Biden that he is going to be uh, over-regulating banks and, and basically what, what they're going to be doing is they're going to be raising interest rates on us to the point where we can't afford stuff. Hell, we can't afford stuff now. We're actually in a depression. 
folks. We can't afford stuff now, but they're going to make it so that we can't afford even more stuff. And the money that we would normally be using to buy stuff, they're going to be sending to this bank. That is the kind of capital that they are talking about. This math, this is a quote, this is the math, absolutely as detailed and transparent. See, he said transparent twice. He said math and transparent twice, which means this motherfucker is lying out his as you could possibly get, as detailed and transparent as you could possibly get, just like the Obama administration was the most transparent administration before the Biden administration was the most transparent administration, that says there's more room, he said. It very clearly says that there are actions that can be done now while we consider other more long-term reforms to the bank while we figure out other ways that we can steal from people. Hans-Peter Lankes, a professor at the London School of Economics and member of the G20 panel, said the study provided timely benchmarks for shareholders and World Bank management as they scoped out ways to boost lending. Here it comes, folks. Some experts argue that developing and emerging economies need 2.4 trillion. Some experts. Who? Who are those experts? But listen to this. These, as far as I can tell, non-existent experts that they are citing say that some developing and emerging economies need $2.4 trillion per year to meet global climate challenges. And there you have it, folks. They're bringing it all the way around, bringing it all the way back to climate whatever. Like I said, back in the 70s, it was, uh, back in the 70s, it was global cooling. It was. There's proof of it. Back in the 80s, it was uh, acid rain. Then it was global warming. Now it's just flat climate change. Oh, the climate's changing. It's it's getting hot. So uh, it's man-made a disaster crisis. Oh, oh wait, it's it's winter. It's getting cold. It's getting cold. So this is caused by man-made disaster, and, and we need to. This is nothing more than a way for them to steal money from us. We are their slaves, ladies and gentlemen. We are slaves to the Washington Syndicate, and the Washington Syndicate funnels the money to these a-holes. These Alpha Hotels, the Rockefellers, the Soroses, the Schwabs, and all of their buddies, all of these unelected people, we are their slaves, folks. We are their slaves. We, we, and, and, and as far as I can tell, based on what has been happening recently in Washington, D.C., we don't even elect our leaders. So there you have it. That is what is going on today. That is what this podcast today is about. We are talking about how the globalists, but, but here's the good news, folks. Here's the good news. They're going to lose. They're already losing. 
They are losing their political power all over the world, all over the globe. They are going to lose. This is not their time. Now, I could be wrong. I don't think I'm wrong. I don't think I've wrong. I'm wrong, and I, and and I've I've said why I don't think that I am wrong before I have explained this. But, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this is not their time. They are going to lose. Um, here in the United States, as I have said multiple times, this uh, the 2024 election is going to be is going to determine. What's going to happen to the United States? Is the United States going to hold together for a little bit longer? And uh, that will happen, assuming the 2024 election goes off without a hitch. If, however, there are shenanigans on the part of the D.C. syndicate, uh, then the United States is going to fall apart. Texas will be first to go. Texas will be first to go and uh, shortly followed by Oklahoma then all the Gulf states is going to travel up the middle of the country, and uh, the the red the, basically what's going to happen is the United States is going to be reformed to where the federal government will have a much 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 tinier role than it has right now. So, uh, and uh, what form that whole thing is going to take, I don't know. Again, a lot of this hinges on what happens in the 2024 election. But the same thing is happening all over the world. The, the globalists are being voted out, and they're aging out. I mean, they're just flat dying off. They're, they're getting super old, and there just aren't enough of them to take over. That's why we have the puppet Joe Biden as the president we have, because they don't have anybody else to put in his place. So there you go. Anyway, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for listening. If you stuck around this long, if you like what you heard, hit the like and subscribe button down below. You can catch my videos on bitshoot.com, odyssey.com, and rumble.com. I have a TikTok where I can say some stuff and I can't say other stuff. I'm basically, right now, I'm in the process of reworking how this whole show is going to work to make it a little bit easier on me to also pursue other type uh, uh, things that I have to do, like my 9 to 5. Um, so there you have it. Uh, oh, if you have any comments, if you disagree with me, let me know why you disagree with me. Don't waste my time with calling me a racist or a bigot or a homophobe. I am going to look right over that. And, and and not even give you the time of day. I, I don't care about what you think. With If you're one of those morons, I just don't care what you think. If, if you think I'm a racist, I don't care. Don't care. Um, but if you uh, actually have some intellectual integrity and you want to come out and say, I disagree with you because of this, and you tell me why, or I think you're wrong because of this, then, doggone it, I might just engage you in conversation. And uh, if you like what you heard, go ahead and let me know. That would be cool. Um, and also, you know, hit the uh, little thing, that uh, the notification button that lets you know when I post other stuff. 
Uh, you can reach me on my, uh, well, you can get the podcast anywhere you can get podcasts. Um, that's the Doc Bryant Show, except for Apple, because I'm not on Apple. Uh, and my email address is uh, docbryantshow at zohomail.com, Z-O-H-O mail.com. And Doc Bryant Show, just all one run together, docbryantshow at zohomail.com. All right, once again, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for listening, and I will talk to you all later.